Hi, I'm Moira. I've been in education for 20 years. As an instructional coach now, I'm in 150 classrooms a year, supporting teachers to teach for learning. And I'm Andrea. I've been working in education for the past eight years, and I support teachers in getting better at what they do. I'm Elizabeth, a former high school humanities teacher who now offers a variety of professional learning supports that I hope directly impact students in classrooms. And we all work together on the curriculum and instruction team at New Visions for Public Schools, an educational nonprofit that supports New York City schools. This podcast is a new project for us as we start to think about how to best reach teachers as they shift back to commuting to work for in-person teaching in the fall. This podcast is brought to you by the Learner Independence Project, a project that supports teachers to give their students the tools they need to have the lives they want. This podcast is for people who want to use the space they have within the education system for a different purpose and to get different outcomes. Here, you'll learn how to have conversations with your students that'll help them become more metacognitive and ultimately become independent learners. Welcome to That's So Meta. In today's episode, we're going to talk about why we need to shift from centering teaching to centering learning. All right, let's talk about it. So when we start preparing a lesson, what do we ask ourselves? How much time do I have to teach this? Instead of how much time does it take students to learn this? This seems like a simple semantic difference, but it has everything to do with how we organize our time with students and what students get out of school. Current student outcomes show us that we need to use our time better. Hmm. So what's going on there? So in schools and classrooms, we say we're doing one thing for a certain purpose, but really a lot of our actions don't line up with what we say we're doing. What we say we're doing is getting students college and career ready and that we're preparing them with the tools they need to have the lives they want. Well, if we were doing that, what would it entail? Well, we know that livelihoods in the 21st century require people to sift through huge amounts of information from many sources, make sense of it, and then use it to solve problems or create products in varied collaborative and creative ways without a lot of support. They'll have to be able to think for themselves and be confident enough in their thinking to share it with others and advocate for their positions forcefully. So if we mean it when we say we wanna get our students ready for whatever comes next, then there's a bunch of stuff we have to change about how we spend our time with students. Why don't we already do that? That is an awesome question. And we probably don't talk about that enough. School systems were in the US anyway, were never really organized around what students need to learn. You might've read Pedro Noguera's book, The Trouble with Black Boys. It's awesome. If you haven't read it, you want to. And in that book, he's got a great synthesis of the origins of education and schooling in the United States. And what he describes in there is this idea that schools are really organized around what society needs students to know, right? What do we want students to know by the time they graduate in order to be productive members of society? So we know that, but really what schools do, what he describes as a sorting, socializing, and social control function. Sorting is really setting kids up in different schools to occupy the role that they're meant to occupy when they graduate. So the kids who grow up in families that are managers and leaders are trained in their schooling to be managers and leaders. Kids who grew up in families that are workers 
are given the type of education that's going to prepare them to be workers. That's the sorting function. And a lot of what we do in schools, in, the, in classrooms, really serves that function. So people stay in the right lane as a result of schooling. And, and it's even more important in the last year, we've really seen how connected um, schooling is to reproducing unequal social structures and um, institutionalizing racism. And so when we use our instructional time, we really want to do something different with it. We want to interrupt some of those functions and have wholly different outcomes so these kids can really have the lives they want. So it sounds like we need to rethink how we organize our time in the classroom. Yes, we have to think about how we reorganize time, the types of activities we give to students. So we need to shift from centering teaching to centering learning. To center learning, we need to set everything up differently. We need to value students' unique thinking and to support them to value their thinking themselves. We need to teach students how to track how they learn, understand how they think so they can, so they can learn on their own. And we need to give them lots of opportunities to genuinely think, reflect, and assess their own progress. Right. So this is all about metacognition then. We know that in order for students to become great learners, they need to be metacognitive. So we support students in being metacognitive when we break through the fourth wall and we become transparent as educators and vulnerable with our students. And so what does this really look like in practice? What it looks like is having a whole bunch of conversations with them. Pedro Noguera, again, talks about schools kind of becoming these impersonal places. And when we start having conversations with students, this is a quote from him, it makes it possible for children and adults to relate to one another as human beings rather than anonymous actors playing out roles. This really means that we have to have a conversation with students where we come clean about how schools have been set up from the time they, they set foot in their first school to now, what we're asking them to do in this moment, when we change how instructional time is set up, it's gonna be a really big change for them. And so we've gotta kinda of come clean about what we've been doing all along and about how schools are set up and for what reasons. And then we've gotta get really clear on what we actually do want and line up all of our actions behind that. This is a way of thinking by the time students get to us in high school, it, do, do we have time to teach them a whole new way of thinking or, or is the old way too ingrained? How do we reverse some of the bad habits that happen through early education? So you don't even know how good your question is because we really have to change the, the partnership we have with students because all this time until ninth grade, let's say, we've been expecting way too little of them. And they know that, they know, they've been sitting there the whole time knowing that they have so much more to offer than we're asking of them. And we ask too little, you know, who in their right mind would give more than they need to? And certainly to people who don't have a lot of faith in them. So we have to change the relationship, first of all. And we have to be really consistent in our behavior to get them to relearn what the relationship between teachers and students should be like, right? We have to build trust where it hasn't been before. That's probably the first thing that we have to do. Treat them like real people. You know, like you're in a relationship for, you know, 45 minutes out of the day and you're doing something potentially really cool together that's gonna give them um, 
a spark of interest into your field or going to give them thinking tools to pursue something else that they want to do. And so the more you can just talk about that and interact as two people, you know, you, you have unique roles, but those roles aren't very different from each other. Right, they're very interdependent. The teacher needs the student and the student needs the teacher. And each one of those people has information that the other person doesn't. So how do conversations build a learning culture and how do conversations help students become more metacognitive? Really what conversations do is get students and teachers talking about what is involved in the learning process and why. Right, like what is what does each part of the lesson contribute to a student learning that content? And not just the content, but learning how to learn. The more you can tell students and have conversation with students about what you're doing and why, and then asking students how it's landing with them, you know, asking them, did it have the effect it's supposed to have? Teaching them how to notice if it if it's having the effect it's supposed to have. That's how you have these conversations. It could be two minutes or four minutes or six minutes. You've got time for that in your class. Do you, when you get started with them, do, do you help them out with like sentence starters to respond to you? Or, or do you really just sort of wait for natural, authentic responses from students? What's the best sort of way to approach that? There is no one right way. And in fact, that's probably a really good overarching message for all of this is that there is no one right way. Let's underline that about a million times. Because if metacognition is about thinking about your thinking and you know, learning in the 21st century is all about independent learning and being able to be your own best teacher, we have to reteach students that their thinking is valuable. And in order to do that, we have to get away from this idea that there's one right way to do anything because there just isn't. There's not one right way to think. There's not one right way to express yourself. That doesn't mean that there aren't right answers sometimes, right? Mathematically, we know that there are right answers. Some fields have correct answers. Some fields have clearly incorrect answers. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the way to get there and really trusting your mind, even if the way to to get to the answer is different from the, the way that other people get to the answer. There's no one right way to think. Tell me what you think. I'm not assessing it. I'm not, I'm not comparing it to my own. I'm not evaluating it. I just want to hear how you got to this, this conclusion. I know people haven't said this to you before. I know the message out there is that there is one right way to think. And that the message is also that you don't have it, that other people have it. You know, you've gotten lots of messages about how much you should trust your thinking and how much you should trust other people's thinking or that theirs is more valuable. And that those are wrong messages. I'm sorry you ever got them. You shouldn't have. They're not true. Everyone's mind is equally valuable. And in fact, the more diversity of minds, and the more diversity of thinking we have, the better positioned we are in the world to come up with really creative solutions to really hard problems. And so I don't want you to think like me. I want you to think like you. That's really powerful. Yeah, so what you just heard is what you're gonna hear throughout this entire podcast series. 
little snippets of things that you absolutely have to say to students and where you want to take that conversation in order to ultimately get your students by the end of the school year to think differently, to have more confidence in their own thinking and confidence that they can learn anything that they encounter in the future.